Hello, STEM Nation. Jeff here, and welcome to episode number 60 of STEM on Fire, where we interview practicing professionals in the area of science, technology, engineering, and math to help guide students interested in STEM careers. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. Now let's get fired up with our guest, Nick, and I hope our chat will help ignite your passion towards a STEM career. Nick earned a Bachelor of Science in Mathematical Finance and Statistics from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and a Master's in Financial Engineering from Berkeley. He has worked as a high-frequency trader and is now a serial entrepreneur, having started multiple companies. Welcome to the show, Nick. Fill in any gaps and share a bit of your personal life. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think you pretty much covered it. You know, math nerd, trying to monetize my my math skills. Awesome. So, Nick, you've got a a mathematical finance degree and a master's in financial engineering, and you're the first one on the podcast with financial engineering and I'll say mathematical finance. Could you explain what that all means? It's engineering, like as if you were going to be a mechanical engineer or a rocket scientist. I mean, all, all similar type of math, but you're just applying it to the financial markets. So pricing, complex um, like exotic uh, derivatives. Um, I was an algorithmic trader, so there was a lot of econometrics and uh, complex, you know, advanced statistics and mathematics to predict certain things in the the markets or building um, optimizers to like have optimized baskets of stocks based on certain criteria. So you know, there's a lot of math meets computer science meets uh, finance. Uh, all kind of rolled up into one thing. That's the way I look at it. Okay, so what what type of you know background you've got? Mathematical finance is is that a and financial engineering is that a very specific degree only offered by a handful of colleges? Because I don't see that show up very often. Yeah, I kind of fell into it um, at Santa Barbara. I graduated in two thousand five, and they started the program like in two thousand two or three, right when I started at Santa Barbara. So it was kind of just by luck that they had created that. And I didn't even know about financial engineering either while I was in college. Actually, like in high school, my parents always kind of brainwashed me to do business or be an accountant or something. And it was my high school math teacher that told me to study math and to keep it up because I had done pretty well in some math competitions in high school. So I, I, I kind of took math just for the hell of it to get some easy A's. And before I knew it, like I took all the classes I needed to to graduate a year early. And then I figured that I'd get a master's in like economics or something my fourth year. And then I figured, well, if I've already taken the GREs and done all that work, I might as well, you know, maybe apply to some other schools. And I just kind of stumbled upon financial engineering through that research. So none of this was really planned. Neither was the high frequency trading that, you know, in finance, there's so many different directions that you can go in that it's impossible like while you're in school to know all the different job titles and roles. So I got pretty lucky kind of falling into uh, the high frequency trading space, which I ended up having a pretty good knack for. So for the high frequency trading, do you, you know, you look at where the trading occurs, I'll say New York, Chicago, some of the big financial areas, do you actually have to reside in those locations or can you do this type of activity remotely? No, you can do it remotely. I mean, you have servers co-located at all the different exchanges and then you, you know, you remote access into those computers that are already physically located there. So um, when I was living, I, I used to live in Tokyo and Hong Kong doing this for a little bit. So uh, I was from Hong Kong. I was trading not just Hong Kong, but India, Taiwan, Korea uh, and Australia all from Hong Kong. And are you doing this by yourself? Are you working for a bank or a trading company when you're doing this? I worked for a large investment bank. 
but a lot of hedge funds do it. It's it's not something that is an individual you could do because it requires such complicated um, uh, infra- computer infrastructure as well as a lot of capital that it would be really impossible for an individual to just do it out of their out of their house. You could do something similar with crypto with the cryptocurrency world since you don't need crazy machines and you're not at um, it's not a mature enough market yet where you're literally fighting for nanoseconds and microseconds. You probably could do similar type of stuff for statistical arbitrage with uh, cryptocurrency, but um, not with stocks. All right. Thanks for that, Nick. So if you're doing financial engineering, do you also have to understand the, the derivatives, uh, you know, the, the different types of futures markets? Do you have to understand it or do you just really need the understanding of math? Uh, you need to know both. I, you have to understand for what I was doing, you have to understand everything from the math to how the exchanges work, to how the gateways at an exchange will process your order, how you submit orders and tell how the telecom lines interact with all the various components. So you really have to, to be a, a high frequency trader, you really have to be this kind of hybrid of a computer scientist meets finance person meets mathematician. So Nick, you, you've parlayed that you've been a high frequency trader. Now you've moved on to starting your own companies. Could you delve into a little bit about what you're doing today? Now I run two companies. Um, the primary business that I'm doing is uh, getleverage.com and it's a, a high-end uh, outsourcing marketplace. So uh, people submit tasks and projects that they want to get done and we have vetted freelancers in our marketplace that um, see available tasks, kind of like an Uber driver gets pinged when someone wants a car. We're doing something similar, but instead of picking people up physically in a car, it could be uh, they want a website built, or they want a blog written, or they want help booking a trip to Iceland. Uh, the way I look at it is, is, is Uber, but uh, more abstract and, and remote. All right, thanks for that, Nick. And let's change gears here a little bit. What is one thing that really has you fired up today? The, the business that I'm currently in with, with Leverage, uh, I'm excited for the future in terms of the math problems that we will start working on. So it's still a three-year-old company, so we're still um, in the beginning stages of the company relatively. So we're still having to fix operational things and, um, and basic things that normal early-stage companies have to fix. But the vision of the company is to leverage uh, data and use the same type of math that I was using with high frequency trading to optimize the marketplace so that we can, uh, you know, optimize how we match, you know, the supply and demand, as well as leveraging all the data that we have on all the tasks we've ever done to help support people doing tasks in more efficient ways. Um, so those are the types of exciting math problems that I'm looking forward to be solving starting next year. And we're going to change gears here a little bit because everybody loves a story. Could you give us a time that you had an incredible aha moment that you turned into success? Well, when I was high frequency trading, I was um, I was in Hong Kong. And um, I with, within the first few weeks of being there, my boss resigned to go somewhere else. And I became kind of the all of a sudden the head of Asia, uh, the head of Hong Kong for high frequency. Okay. So um, I guess a bit of luck mixed with a little bit of just experience. I um, 
I figured out like a really big opportunity that we were missing to kind of do the high frequency trading in reverse, not to get into too much detail, but it was a totally new business line. And so at a very young age, I, I had this aha moment for doing basically the complete opposite strategy of what was historically already making us a lot of money. And by doing it in reverse, it was a very, it ended up becoming an, an extremely profitable and one of the best strategies uh, at the firm. Did you have to go get approval to do that, Nick? Or you said you kind of took over as, as heading it up. What, what was the process to get through that? As you make money in these types of environments, you build credibility. And I guess it also just depends on the culture of the firm. The culture was always to give people a lot of responsibility from the very beginning, more so than other places, which is something I think that uh, listeners should be um, aware of when they're looking to get their first job is kind of not just thinking about how much they can make or what their role is you know, that first year or two years, but, you know, trying to think five years out, like where could they possibly be in that position versus at another firm? So they always gave quite a lot of flexibility. And um, I pretty much had like almost total freedom to play around with, you know, billions of dollars um, in kind of like whatever way I saw fit. Uh, you know, they had they had ways of man of monitoring risk in the back end. So, you know, if they saw that I was doing anything totally crazy, uh, I you know they wouldn't have allowed it. But, um, you know, I would go if, if anything was going to be like kind of a high risk type of uh, trade, I would I would get approval for it. But the type of trading I was doing, it wasn't very high risk in general. I wasn't taking any overnight positions. I was trading just high volume, taking fractions of a penny, trading like in and out of things, using math and statistics. Uh, in the end, it was very, very little risk. I might have had like 10 down days in a year trading. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And you said that you were actually trading a, kind of a billion dollar portfolio with a with a B, correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. So Stemnation, you know, if this is interesting to you, I'm going to ask Nick, where would you go find information if you're interested in high frequency trading? I guess you could, I think, I haven't read the book, but there's a book by Michael Lewis called Flash Boys, which apparently is what I used to do. I've never read the book. Okay. You know, I, I would take a look at, you know, just Googling financial engineering and looking at programs. I went to Berkeley's financial engineering program, which I highly recommend if you're interested in this uh, topic. I think that that's as good as you could possibly get. I'm sure that there's meetup groups and things like that to get involved with. But I would study if you know if the audience here is high schoolers looking to figure out what they're going to do in college, um, you know, just now nowadays you have Google, so you could learn basically as much as you want about the subject. And I would suggest everyone taking computer science classes because that's something that I never really got into until I was a high frequency trader. I, I kind of always wished that I would have gone into it being better at coding, especially something like Python. I would suggest that everyone gets good at Python, no matter what field they get into. Python and SQL are two big ones. Yeah, absolutely. Python, um, that shows up everywhere in engineering outside of just math and the financial engineering. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Take, take some programming classes, regardless of what career you're going for, because it's going to become handy uh, definitely in the future. 
All right, Nick, so let's transition a bit here in getting through college. So for most students, getting through college can be challenging in these STEM careers. Um, what are, what's some advice that you'd give to some 18 year olds as they're heading off to college, any sort of study hacks or things that you learned going through college? There's two big, big hacks that I did with college. So first, um, before classes even started, I remember taking the course catalog of the school and I just sat down for basically like two days solid and mapped out kind of the course that I would take at least for the first couple years in terms of general education requirements. You know, if you could take some classes you could take that knock out three requirements in one class. So whenever I could do that, I would, I would do that. Cause in general, like I wasn't very interested in those. So I figured if I already have to go through something that I find painful, I might as well just really go for it and knock out as many as I can. I did always take summer school. I took AP classes and, and, and community college classes while I was in college, so I already went in with some credits. The biggest thing that I did was, uh, I was lucky in the sense that one of my best friends was kind of on a very similar level to me in terms of math. We we got similar grades in math and economics and stuff. And uh, we were close friends, so we became study partners. So we strategically signed up for as many classes as we possibly could together and Having a study partner, someone to push you, motivate you, someone to stay up until four in the morning in the library because you didn't you know, prepare enough and someone to learn certain aspects of a course so that you can learn others and then you teach each other was super, super helpful. And um, I, I would really recommend people forming little study groups that you can you know, carry on throughout as many classes as you possibly can. With all of your AP credits and and the classes that you took and having your study partner, did it take a full four years or five years to get out or how long did it take you? Uh, it took uh, three years. So was that taking full loads? What were we taking, 15, 18 credits a semester? Well, it was on the quarter system. I don't remember how many credits it was, but I mean, I would take four or five classes a quarter. Plus I would do summer school. But honestly, the way I would do it is uh, I would t- probably take five classes if they were classes I'm good at. And if I had to take a class that I knew I wasn't good at, I would give myself like a, a four co- course load for the semester. So I think you just have to know yourself and kind of optimize it around that. And also, I tried as much as possible just doing classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That was also kind of a constraint that, for the most part, I stuck to. Nick, we're going to move on here, and we're going to thank our sponsor, Audible, who's offering a free audiobook. You can head over to stemonfirebook.com. That's stemonfirebook.com to get a free audiobook of your choosing. If you decide to cancel within 30 days, there's no cost, and you keep the audiobook. And it's lightning round time. Nick, are you ready? Mm-hmm. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Well, back, back to that high school math teacher that told me to stick to math. That was pretty good advice. Yep, stick to math. Uh, I've heard that multiple times from multiple people. Math is going to rule the world. I think it already does, and it's going to continue to do that. And a personal habit that contributes to your success. Well, I don't do it enough, but definitely you have to stay fit. And this is something that I kind of realized in my 20s. But sometimes you get so wrapped up with work and studying that uh, that takes priority over your own health. You know, I have back problems now from overworking when I was a trader in my early years and just kind of forcing yourself to put yourself first and 
Uh, for me, like I was never a morning person in college, but now, you know, I, I like to wake up early and go to the gym in the mornings. And I find that I'm way more productive on days that that happens versus days that um, that doesn't happen. All right, Nick. And one book you would recommend? Oh, my book, Idea to Execution. And Nick, as we wrap up here, could you share a parting piece of guidance for STEM Nation? And then we'll say goodbye. Well, I think just pretty much what we've covered, um, Python is something that I think everyone should be aware, should have some background in. I think that this, you know, uh, computer science, math, engineering, that's where the future is. So getting good, you know, getting good grades in college and starting to even already think about grad school is something that I think everyone should um, be thinking about. All right, Nick. And with that, we will say goodbye. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed our chat today with Nick. Head over to stemonfire.com, subscribe to the email list to keep up with the latest happenings, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player. And please share it with a friend. Tune in next week where we talk with Nikita, who is an applications engineer. Until next time, I hope this chat has helped ignite your passion towards a STEM career.